Hello, Tisha. Hi, Jen. I feel like we always do these like cheesy. Hello. We're gonna have to put out a video of them because we're always like Jen. Yes. (laughs) So we're recording this intro um, right after a long weekend, and the day after yesterday was Tuesday. It was two twenty two twenty twenty two. Um, yes. which was like, it's like an anagram and I don't know, it's all kinds of things. Yeah. I, a palindrome or something. A yeah. palindrome. All, but it's like the same forwards, backwards, upside down, all of the things. <laughs> I was, I am somebody who, if you follow me on social, know that I like to do moon circles and I like, you know, oracle cards and things like that. Um, and so, so I do believe a little bit in the idea of what people like to call angel numbers. And it was really interesting um, because I had an insane amount of energy and like inspiration kind of going yesterday. I just like went from thing to thing to thing. I feel like we talked a couple of times about like creative things that we're working yeah, on. Yeah, so true. And, um, you know, I went, we recorded a podcast episode to be on another show. Yes. We're guesting. We're guesting. Yep. And, and I had dance and we hosted book club and it was just one of those days that just, I never felt tired. I just kind of was able to keep rolling through it, which was kind of cool. And then today happened. And then today happened (laughs) and I got a horrible night's sleep and I almost missed my workout and we just actually had an amazing conversation that I felt like I was a little bit spaced out during, which I felt bad for. Um, But I guess that's just the ebb and flow of things, right? And energy as a woman in your (laughs) forties. Yeah. Let's have a really sexy conversation about what it's like to be a woman in your (laughs) forties. Yeah. And interestingly enough, we um, recorded Um, we're guesting on another podcast, which is called, we should talk about that. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know exactly when that's going to be coming out, but stay tuned on our social media because we definitely will announce that. And um, it, the podcast is actually hosted by the episode you're about to listen to. So Jess Buchanan is the host of a podcast. So we kind of did like a little bit of a swap and um, I hope you really enjoy listening to her. Yeah, she's amazing. And oh, International Women's Day is coming up. Is it? Yep. I when believe it's March 7th. Literally nothing March is. 8th. Marth- oh, wow. I'm good. So it's next week. And I kind of think that's part of the reason we chose Jess's episode just because, I mean, every single guest that we've had on the show is pretty badass. Mm-hmm. But um her story is something else yeah um so definitely give it a listen tisha's episode on our patreon the first part of her story released last friday so if you're not already a member go subscribe patreon.com slash now what pod and you'll have access to that episode um and uh the extended version of Franny's episode who we released over the summer. We'll have part two coming up and we've got a bunch mm-hmm. of other conversations set up for that. Um, yes. yeah. So we're going to be releasing some Patreon only episodes coming up. Yes. And because we love, love, love doing this, but it does cost us 
money out of pocket. And so if you'd like us to keep being able to put on the show and not have to deal with weird ads about mattresses and <laughs> I don't know, hydration water or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Podcast ads are weird. Support us on Patreon or buy us a coffee. And there's links in the show notes or um, on any of our socials. And please share with a friend. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, I'm Jen and welcome back to Now What? I'm Tisha. Today we are talking with Jess Buchanan. Welcome, Jess. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. I mean, thanks for coming on. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's thankful. Yes, everyone's thankful because I stumbled across some of the work that you do on Instagram and started looking into that a little bit more and we actually reached out to you and invited you to be on the show. And then I messaged Jen afterwards. I was like, Jen, I just like sent this pitch letter and you replied, which, you know, sometimes people do and sometimes people don't, but I'm like, I want to talk to this lady because your story is what's a good word for it. I mean, insane. It's insane. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great word. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Jess Buchanan and let's see, I'm a New York Times bestselling author. I am a professional speaker. I am a professional development and speaking and writing coach. Um, And I'm a teacher by profession, but most notably, I am a kidnapping survivor. So I started my teaching career in 2006 and I started it. I'm from, I, uh, from the Midwest of the U.S., like grew up in Southern Ohio, went to college outside of Philadelphia and um, got this travel bug and um, decided that the course that was mapped out for me was to go and teach in Africa. So I ended up teaching in East Africa at an international school and met my husband, uh, who's a native Swede, while we were both in a nightclub in Nairobi, Kenya, and um, married him and did what most newlywed couples do and quit my job and moved up to Somalia with him. Um, And so we had like just really interesting, fun work. I ended up doing a bunch of uh, work for the UN and uh, international NGOs and using my teaching um, credentials to get my foot in the door in a world that I didn't even know existed really. And I started working in armed violence reduction and conflict management. And what I um, would do is develop courses and programs and in mine risk education, firearm safety education and conflict management education for people groups um, all over East Africa who had very low literacy skills or no literacy skills. Okay. And basically my job was to, to develop the materials and train our uh, local staff and um, to go out and help keep these communities safe because most of them were um, post-conflict and recovering from years of civil war. Um, like literally their areas that they were living in were littered with unexploded bombs and landmines. And so we did clearance and all this stuff. So it was just like, here I am, like I'm a teacher, right? And then I end up in this world where I'm doing this work that's just like insanely, I don't know, fulfilling. And I just really Mm -hmm. felt like, oh my God, like literally this is what I was put here on earth to do. And I was just 
living my best life. I know that that doesn't appeal to everybody, but (laughs) for me, I was just like living my dream. And it was October of 2011. My organization sent me down to the Southern part of Somalia, which is still just a very uh, tumultuous around security there's al-shabaab which is like an islamic terrorist extremist group like it's just not a super safe area and but we had programs running there and i didn't feel good about the training that i was being sent to do so i canceled it two times and then on the third time that it was scheduled, my colleague, a Danish man named Paul that I was friends with, he was running the program down there. I was like up in the Northern part of Somalia. He basically told me like, if I didn't get down there to do the training, then he was going to report me to my boss and that I could be in jeopardy of losing my job. And I felt really scared about that because I love my job and I loved what I was doing. And I was working a very male dominated environment. So I felt like I had to prove myself all of the time, which I think a lot of of women can (laughs) identify with. Right. You know, and I was making like, like a real income. And I was, I had these really just these cool experiences and these perks where I'd go on R and R and my husband was there and he was doing awesome work. And I like everything just was really good. And I didn't want to screw it up. Right. By being paranoid. So I went ahead and got on a UN plane, go down there, do my staff training. And we had three days of trainings. And the third morning I woke up and I'd had nightmares the whole night long. Like, like, and I'm not like a person who dreams a lot. Um, I mean, everybody dreams, but I just don't remember them. And, um, but I had vivid nightmares like all night long that we were being our house and our compound was being taken over by pirates, which sounds like totally crazy and outlandish, like saying it now. But at that time in 2010, 2011, in that area of the world, it, there were pirates, like ships were being taken over out in the, the Indian Ocean. People like NGO workers were being kidnapped from refugee camps when they were working. You know, it was technically a possibility. And so I remember getting up that morning and I had not slept well. I was like drenched in sweat. I go into the bathroom and I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said out loud to myself, Jess, do you want to, do you want to do this? Cause what was going to happen was that I was going to have to leave the guest house and go to, it's hard to explain, but like go across this green line to another convoy of vehicles and get to another office. And it's just for the purposes, I think of this interview is too confusing (laughs) to explain, (laughs) but basically I was going to have to leave a place that felt somewhat safe and move to a less safer space. And I knew I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to leave, but I'd been really bullied into it and everything had been set up and my staff was expecting me and I had to show solidarity. And what was I going to do? Like go downstairs and be like, you know, I don't think I'm going to go and do this training today. Cause I had these dreams like all night long that we were being kidnapped. By parents, <laughs> and I, just don't, I don't feel good about it. Like who's going to do that. Right. Especially as like one of the few women in a male dominated yeah. workplace. 
yeah like the only one yeah like i just have a feeling about this yeah (laughs) like these are all like military men you know like macho like i don't know just big guys that think they know everything and and then you got me like i'm just this wild card the american too like there's a danish ngo so like there were not there were not a lot of americans around and i you know i i've spent a lot of time thinking about this and meditating on it and really like going through that whole scenario like replaying that in my mind and through trauma counseling and everything and it was one of the most defining moments of my life because it was self-abandonment and Mm -hmm. I I walked away from myself in that moment and I looked at myself in the mirror and I made a decision to not listen to my gut not listen to my intuition and that was the last time I ever saw that girl because what happened was I got in the convoy. I went into the staff training. Everything went fine until about three o'clock in the afternoon when we were headed back to the guest house. Our um, convoy of vehicles was overtaken by armed gunmen. Um, they took over our car, uh, put a gun in my head. They drove us out into the desert for hours and hours. They forced us out of the vehicles and then forced us to participate in a mock execution and then subsequently held us hostage in the desert for 93 days. 93. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That is a long and, time. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it is. laughs> and then we were rescued on January 25th, 2012 by SEAL Team 6, who are the same guys that got, got Osama, Osama bin Laden. Laden. Yeah. 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 So that's my story. I mean, it's like hard to not be like dumbfounded. Like I said, before we started, I knew like the high level of, of, of it. How So how many of you were there? 93 days in the desert you were being held it was me and paul just the two two of us Mm -hmm. we were the only two expats in the vehicle he we realized and you know in the aftermath of course you can fill in all of the gaps but he was really the target actually what what happened was there was a direct kidnapping threat that they had heard about for the organization and then you know, the way it works is like the whole consortium of NGOs and UN decide whether or not it's a viable threat. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's Southern Somalia is always a viable threat, yeah. but that was not, that was not relayed to me. Like I was not given that information. I always knew that of course, like there's a possibility that kidnappings happen in that area, but I mm-hmm. was never the words there is a direct kidnapping threat on the Danish demining group who I was working for at the time were never communicated to me. Cause you probably um, would not have gone or you definitely wouldn't have. Left. I would not have gone. Would not have gone. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, wow. Yeah. So that made me mad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I can't imagine why <laughs> were they, 
like did they want money in exchange yeah Yeah. so basically how it works is we weren't sure for the first couple of weeks what we were dealing with and we weren't sure if they were al-shabaab like if it was an ideological thing kind of like isis Mm -hmm. or not kind of like isis and then in that case like i was i was going to be a goner i'm an american woman like the end for me is going to be certain and tragic and probably painful or were they just like gangsters wanting money and so they set the ransom demand at $45 million. And then we heard that our people countered $20,000. So that has like, to feel you can so imagine. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on one hand, I can say to my husband that I'm worth millions. Um, but on the <laughs> but other hand, the that's no, no. Yeah. Well, the way, you know, the way it yeah. works is they've got a king and right. they've got yeah. a kidnapping right yeah and but then you're like 45 million and 20,000 like there's like years before we're gonna meet yeah somewhere yeah so it was the most impossible situation mm-hmm. and and then yeah how is that being communicated to you like how did you find out that they you'd been offered $20,000 or that they'd offered $20,000 for you. I mean, that was like hearsay. There was one guy there that spoke a little bit of English and he kind of presented himself as being there to help like translate so he could get us out quickly. He was actually one of the guys behind the whole thing. It's very, it's a very like extensive network. Like they have, you know, it's like a web, it's like the mafia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they have, financiers in the UK, in the US, like they're, they've got all hostages all over the place. Like this is a very well-oiled crime machine. Wow. Um, and we were essentially trafficked because what happened was the national, the, there was a Somali security advisor that was working for that particular program. And he's the one who basically set it up. They paid him a hundred thousand dollars to hand us over. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, everybody's got their price, I guess their price. Yeah. Right. Especially in a place like Somalia, where people like the average life expectancy is between 42 and 46. People live on less than a dollar a day. You know, I was just a commodity, just a dollar sign. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, you're the only woman probably only woman the entire time. Wow. And there were eh, from six to 30 men. Wow. All the time. Kind of like guarding you and mm-hmm. yep. And we're just camped out. And I use that word very liberally. Like we slept on a mat out in the middle of the desert. Were you guys ever assaulted or harmed in any way? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I was spared. I I know it was coming. I was never sexually assaulted, which is really just unheard of in these situations. Yeah, I would think so. But it was like coming. I don't, I just knew it was. There were signs and things and it was just, yeah. I, I knew it was coming. It seems crazy that you went 93 days without that happening. 
I think with all those God, like every day, like that I got out of there, but I got out of there when I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're in the middle of the desert, no tents, food, water, washrooms, like, yeah, I mean, I got really good at squatting. I got like maybe a liter of water every couple of days to try to wash with. It was laced with diesel and algae. And so I got urinary tract infections, which eventually led to a kidney infection, oh my gosh. which is what set the um, wheels in motion for the rescue operation because I was dying. I, I was like hallucinating with fever, my you know, cause if you have a kidney infection that goes untreated then it's going to go into sepsis mm-hmm. right. and I'm like out in the desert, like they wouldn't bring me medicine. They wouldn't bring a doctor. <laughs> yeah. You were like, it was just like laying on a mat. Yeah. They just needed me alive enough so that they could cash me in. But you know, the guys on the ground don't know anything like no. they're just there to, you know, shoot people. So well, and they're not really calling the shots anyway. No. Exactly. So it got really dire and, you know, like food, I think I lost about 40 pounds through the course of the whole thing. So I was, I'm a tall, like I'm a, I always say I'm a substantially sized person. I'm like about five foot 11 and I was 119 pounds when I came out. Ooh. So, yeah. cause you know, I mean, I was, this was before I had kids <laughs> so I'm substantially thinner than I am now, but yeah, like I just, would try to eat when, you know, as much as I could whenever, whenever I had the chance, yeah, but they yeah, it was like little tin, like a tin of tuna, mm-hmm. like a little mini tin of tuna, which tuna, like I would try to like, I wasn't the tuna in oil. It was like packed in water, okay. but I was like trying to get as many calories as I could and Into, yeah. sometimes bread and, but yeah, not, not like high calorie food. And, you know, then they would take food or withhold food for days on end because the negotiations weren't going well or they would withhold water. And so you just like, it's just like one giant mind, you know, yeah. this is what I'm thinking. Like what is going um, all the time your head, right? I like mean, you had to have lost hope at some point or did you not? I didn't, you know, I, that was my work. You were, you were well versed in this to a point. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was my work. Like I knew I I, like had to do everything I could to survive, to get back to my family. My mom had died the year before really suddenly Mm -hmm. and it rocked us. It It hit us very, very hard. And so we were still grieving. Yeah. Very much. And I felt I'm the oldest of three kids. And I just felt this responsibility, insane responsibility to get home. Yeah, I can, I can. Um, yeah. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to win. I'm going to win this thing. I don't know. I can be very stubborn. And I think I just like employed the most primal willpower that I could tap into, you know, it's like those moments, those long drawn out moments in life where I'm sure you both can understand where you have to dig 
as deep as you can. And then you got to dig some more. Mm -hmm. Like you just got to keep showing up. Mm -hmm. And for me, like showing up meant I was going to have to figure out how not to go crazy. Yeah. And I was going to have to figure out how to stay alive for as long as this thing was going to take. And I, at that point, there were no illusions that I was going to get out anytime soon. Like these, these kind of situations take years. So you were kind of prepared for resolve. You were prepared for that. I think by that point, like the first month I was like, I'm an aid worker. Like we're here to help the community. Like the community is going to put pressure on them and you know, they're going to release us. And it just wasn't happening. Right. And then we were hearing more about like the ransom demand and it was, went from 45 million to like, it did drop kind of significantly to like 18 million, (laughs) but then it's like 18 million is still out of the question. Like, there's just no way, like even a million dollars, like, like there's like, how are people supposed to come up with that money? Like, you know, I knew my organization had insurance, but I also knew like insurance is not going to hand over a million dollars, you know? So I was in it for the long haul and Paul and I, we were together for a lot of it Mm -hmm. and then, you know, separated for a lot of it. And while, you know, I have my opinions and feelings about what, you know, his part in all of it, it's still like, I would much rather have been with somebody than not. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we leaned on each other in such profound ways to, to maintain hope. And one of the things we agreed to was that we were not allowed to feel despair. Like we could feel any emotion. We could feel rage and anger and resentful, and we could even be happy and laugh and find something, you know, joyful, but despair was off the table because that just felt like a big, huge ledge that we would throw ourselves into and never never be able to get out of again. Mm-hmm. And then, then you can't survive that when you, when you throw yourself into that Canyon. Yeah. So then, then what do you do? Like, how do you keep yourself from going into that pit? And so I, I have a really, like, I've always had a really um, good imagination. Like I'm a daydreamer. I'm a four on the Enneagram, if you're familiar with Enneagram. And so I'm just like, I can sit and just stare out the window for hours and be super happy and think about nothing or everything. And so I started tapping into that and I had been looking at retreats before all of this happened and I was going to take my R&R and maybe I was even thinking about taking a couple months off because I was still, I was just really in a space of deep pain about having lost my mother yeah. and I was going to go to India and you know go to an ashram and just like gut it out like do you know just get get it all out and I remember one morning I, I was sitting cross-legged under a tree and I looked around and I was like I think this is my ashram. (laughs) I mean, I've got nothing better to do. Mm -hmm. So I might as well, you know, I like to be efficient. So (laughs) I might as well use this time wisely. And I thought, you know, I mean, it's not like I'm paying for this. I think actually I'm probably getting paid to sit here. 
So, all right, let's see what we can do with this. And I decided to go back over my life and start at my very first memory that I could think of, which would, of course had to do with my mother. And I took each year of my life and I remembered everything I could possibly remember about everything that ever happened to me in the deepest, most minute detail that I possibly could. And I had this journey, if you will, you know, interrupted every once in a while by an AK in my face or, you know, being driven out into the desert to be put on proof of life calls. But for the most part, I, and I was able to find this space of mental ease where I could go back over and like really think about like decisions I had made. I had gotten married when I was 20 and he ended up being the biggest asshole and abusive. And like, how did I end up in that situation? And what was it about? Like really, really examining some things and really like letting go of some hurts and burying some grudges and figuring out who I needed to apologize to. I mean, it was actually a really profound time. Yeah. It sounds like that. And it sounds like you're healing, but in this really traumatic situation, like how do you have both of those things happening at the same time? Yeah. You're being traumatized and healing at the same time. I know. Right. I don't know. I guess maybe I knew I was going to like, this was my chance to heal that because then I was going to have all of this other stuff to deal with Mm -hmm. when I got out. Yeah. And And, I mean, that's exactly what happened. You've got nothing but time to think. So great. What else? So why not use it? Right. And so when I like, couldn't think of like, remember anything else, then I started to plan about what I wanted to do in the future. And I'm like an entrepreneur. So I, at that time was like really into like wellness and yoga. So I was like, I mean, I would get so detailed. Like I had this cafe in my head and I had the tablecloths picked out and the colors and I planned out the menu and I would just like do this like every day until the point. And I mean, it's so interesting because I don't think I really understood the whole concept of around energy and visualization and manifestation then. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I would visualize like every night before I would go to bed, I would walk through my apartment in Nairobi that I loved. I loved my apartment so much. And I would go through and I would mentally like straighten the pillows on the couch. And I would like, you know, put my husband's jacket away. And I would like feel the coolness of the sheets when I got into my bed and I would do this like over and over again. And now as a student of, you know, energy work now and really diving into that spiritual practice for myself of meditation, I'm like, Oh my God, that's like what I was doing. And I didn't I already know, know how it. to do this. I did. Yeah. But it's, but it's, it works, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? Because here I am, mm-hmm. like, like I visualized the shit out of everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Cause what else could you do? You know? Yeah. I mean, right. But it, it was really like, in a way I'm really, really lucky to have had that experience to know um, that side of the, like being human, mm-hmm. I think. Does that make sense? Yeah. And 
kind of finding out what you really are capable of. Right? Like, oh, we're capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. Like, I remember like, say, like saying over and over, especially at the very beginning, like, I am not that girl. Like, this, I am not the girl that should be out here. I know all these girls that like work for these NGOs. They're so tough. Like they want this street cred. They want, they would, I bet you, if they were really honest, they'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll be the kidnapped. I'll be the one who's kidnapped because I'll get out of there. And then I'll be able to like, you know, like be the badass who survived the kidnapping. <laughs> like, that's not me. Like, I don't need that. I'm a teacher, remember? I'm not into it. Not (laughs) Not into into it. it. That's not why I'm here. And I woke up like one morning, I don't know, maybe day 65 or something. And I remember Paul coming over to me and I was just sitting there on the mat. And I think he brought me like a cup of tea or something. It felt very like normal in a weird way. And um, I said, you know what? I had this realization. He's like, yeah, okay. And I said, I'm a, like, I'm a fucking badass. <laughs> and he laughed and he looked at me and he goes, well, hell you are. And I was like, but I am, I am that girl. Yeah. Yeah. I am that girl. And so, you know, I mean, I think in a lot of ways we experience these, these insane out of the realm of possibilities experiences for that very reason because now you know what I mean I look at myself in the mirror and on the days when I really do doubt who I am and my capabilities I'm like no 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 you know no no you know who you are you know what you've done and I can I can go back to that that baseline and use that as proof that whatever this is that I'm facing now doesn't compare I have the capacity well I have the capacity to do it yeah because I did it before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah um so I think that I don't know I think that's really cool (laughs) how the universe like is like okay nope here you go we're gonna give you something hard again but we know you can do it Mm -hmm. so at this point did you have children no, okay. I did not. I did think I was pregnant. Boy. My husband and I were trying and I actually think I miscarried like Why the first there? week we were out there. Yeah. So okay. that was my last text message to my husband before the car was overtaken was that I was having cramps and I wasn't, I didn't think that this was the, this was the, this was the month. And, but then I never actually got my period for like a couple of weeks and so I thought then I had to sit there in the terror of oh my god like what if I am pregnant are you even like what like oh my can like what am I even gonna do right and I had to go through that like whole mental process of like what if I am and what if I'm out here for that long and what if I have to have a baby out here in the desert and like what if I can't get an epidural (laughs) (laughs) you know priorities I yeah and then I had like them I don't it could have been the stress but then it was just like an unbelievable bleeding event and I thought I think there's something else going on here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah and then I never I didn't have a cycle again 
But the interesting thing, that's so funny. So ironic. I ended up getting pregnant two weeks after the rescue. Oh my God. With my son. Wow. Yeah. So like a month later, I was throwing up constantly and couldn't figure out why. And then my husband was like, maybe you should take a pregnancy test. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) and then it was positive. And I, I just like the room started spinning and I, I was so scared. Like, I was just like, there's no way I'm capable. I'm not, I'm never going to be capable of having a baby at this point in my life. I have PTSD. I am so traumatized. I'm my body's in terrible shape. How am I going to even grow this thing? And how am I going to like nourish it and nurture it and all of those things? I'm going to be the word like, yeah, it was, that was very hard. My transition into motherhood was mm-hmm. very rough. Well, I, I would imagine um, I was going to say before you even jumped into this, like, what was it like after you were rescued? Like what, you know, and you, you got back to your husband and, and did you guys stay in Nairobi? We did. We went back to Nairobi um, for a year. My son was born there. I mean, Nairobi for me was home. It was where I had like my, it was the place where I found myself. It was the place where I met my husband. And now I'm having, I'm, I'm bringing my child into the world. And so I had this very, very strong emotional tie. And I really wanted to stay because that was, that had always been our plan. Our plan had never been to move to the U S and after August was born, he was born in October, my postpartum, I had postpartum anxiety and depression and PTSD. And my, my mental health was so fragile and I wasn't sleeping. Like, you know, he just like cried all night long and he threw up constantly. And I, you know, I was like, I just, and alone, you know, like no family, my husband's from Sweden, his family was in Sweden and he decided that we would, we needed to go back to the U S so I could be closer to my sister and, and mm-hmm. see how that felt for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, and um, the plan was to go back when things felt better, but as it happens as we were talking about, you just kind of get stuck, <laughs> stuck mm-hmm. or rooted. I think, I think I thought I was stuck, but really what I was doing was putting down roots. roots. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here we are. I mean, I've shared on here before and like, I think in Tisha knows I had a, we both had like major struggles after our little ones were born. Mm-hmm. And actually it sounds like, um, August is right in between our two kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because mine was September of that year and Tisha's is okay. November. <laughs> yeah. There. Yeah. And I had like, there was no, no, no trauma or anything like that. I, I just can't even imagine that newborn phase and the lack of sleep and what that alone does to your mental well-being when you're not even a year out from this. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. Because I've done the newborn yeah. phase and I've done the PTSD, but I didn't do them at the same time. <laughs> I mean, I think the newborn phase definitely classifies as causing PTSD. I, like, I, I mean, I just, oh, and I remember like those first couple of weeks, I would be like, okay, until 
And in Africa, like in East Africa, the sun goes down at like six o'clock every night. It doesn't deviate and it's up at six, down at six. And like around 5.30 when that light, and now it's so ironic because it's like my favorite time of day when the light starts to get soft. I would feel this cloud of depression come over me. And was it because he didn't sleep and like all the other stuff you were dealing with? I, yes. And I was scared, you know, I was scared that, you know, in Nairobi, you know, I'm not really sure how it is now, but at the time, like, you know, there's crime, right? So all of our windows had bars on them. And actually like our bedroom had a steel door with a lock that we like barricaded ourselves, you know, like, I mean, looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, no wonder I, you know, I didn't feel, didn't safe. feel totally remember, safe here. <laughs> no, like going into put Augie down, he'd been up and I finally got him to sleep and I was going to go put him in his bed. And I, he had a big, huge window in his room that looked out. We had just, you know, it's Nairobi's very lush and green and it looked out over the garden and there was a man standing at the window with his face up against the window. And I almost dropped Augie like, like clean on the floor and I freaked out and I got my husband up and it was our security guard. We had a guard on the compound and watching the gate and he, I had had twinkle lights up in Ami's room and he'd never seen anything like that. So he was walking the grounds and got like curious and just stood there with his face pressed up. Yeah. yeah, Which, okay. I get that. But like, then I just couldn't, I just couldn't relax and I, even I just couldn't calm down and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that like I started getting really which is postpartum anxiety right like paranoid thinking mm-hmm. like somebody's gonna pay off the guard like it's not gonna take much they're gonna pay off the guard and they're gonna come after me right because you know it was a rescue so all of the the guys on the ground there were nine guys on the ground that night they were all killed and you know people people were mad. Yeah. Yeah. So I had this thing, like somebody's after me, somebody's going to get, they didn't get their money. It was was intense. They didn't get their money. They also didn't get their money. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I mean, the FBI assured us like it was safe for us to go back to Nairobi and, you know, Eric had his work there still. And then I was like, I just remember coming home one day and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I got to go. Like, it's time. Like, I'm going to break. Yeah. Well, I can't even imagine again, not with a baby going back there with all of those factors at play, no matter how much it like was home and, and, you know, like what you, where you love, like, yeah. And still it broke my heart to leave, you know, of course. Yeah. And because it was, you know, they took that away from me. Right. Because it was a place I lost my, I lost my work. I lost my profession. I could never go back and do that work again. So I come to the States. I have a baby. I have a Swedish husband. I've got a bunch of PTSD and postpartum everything. And I have to figure out how to rebuild my life again. Right. And I have been just showing up every day <laughs> for like what it's been nine years. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been a journey, man. Yeah. It's been a journey. And sometimes that's all you can do is just keep showing up, keep showing up. And that's my philosophy. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. (laughs) Yeah. And lay down and take a break. 
yeah, rest when you need to and, and yeah. press on when you can. But just keep getting up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you were able to keep getting up when you were being ho- held hostage, I mean, getting up and getting your kids to school and, you know, doing whatever work is that day or whatever kind of pales in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's that you can tap into that. <laughs> what yeah. is my actual capacity here? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I think for a while there was a belief too that like, I mean, it's taken me a while to come to that conclusion because I thought maybe we all have like a max capacity and maybe I maxed it out Mm -hmm. Um, and like I can't, maybe I'm not capable of doing anymore, but if you just keep showing up, then you see that you are, but it takes time. And on the other side of that, I think I had a belief that I couldn't ask for any other good things in my life because all the good had been used up. Like who gets that? Like who gets gets to be rescued rescued by SEAL Team 6? Yeah. Like who gets to live through something like that? So you can't ask for anything else. Like all your good has been used up. And that is flawed. Mm -hmm. Like that's not true. That's a very um, like, like bleak way to live that you can like use. Well, how do you do that? Yeah. Like, what do you do with that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some dark days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really I dark mean, days, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I, that's, yeah. that feels like that would be a given. And also I think like when just to talk about how you used up all your good, like sometimes when something really bad happens, you can kind of start thinking that bad things are going to happen. Like, you're like, if Mm -hmm. I can be kidnapped and held Mm -hmm. hostage in a desert for 93 days, then surely all these other bad things are possibilities too. Yeah. And I've used up all my good. Well, (laughs) like, yeah. Like, I mean, I think that that is the real loss is that I lost my belief that bad things don't happen to good people like me, Mm -hmm. which we all know that's not true. Right. But I, I'm a privileged white, a naivety middle that, class. Yeah. Yeah. It's a naivety that so like, many people live with. We do 100%. Right. And then it, it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably calls. In and I think we can all relate to that on some level. Yeah, I know well, I can. I'm sure Jen can as well. Yeah. Well, it probably <laughs> calls into question, like a lot of like your identity. Oh, identity. My identity was Africa. My identity was my work. My identity was, that was all I was. That was who I was. So I've spent the last decade trying to figure out who I am. And then hiding, hiding from this for a while too, because you get tired of being the girl that was kidnapped by pirates and I uh, went back to teaching in the traditional classroom for a couple of years because I, you know, it was, I needed to try it again and see if I could go back to that. And I remember just coming back from the grocery store and it was, it was, I have like my epiphanies around five o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> so when, the, when the light, I think it's just like when my brain is finally like Open. maxed out yeah. and yeah. 
and I had the realization that I could never go back and do the things that I used to do for the most part, because I was not that girl any, like I was never going to be that girl like anymore. Like I'm was profoundly and fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. And so there was a reason why I was burned out from teaching after two years, because that just wasn't, you weren't that for person me anymore. because I wasn't, no, no. Yeah. I think um, that- and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I think one of the, the things that, you know, is not often understood about trauma is that it does, it changes you on a cellular level. Yes. You know, you are not yep. that person that you were before you were kidnapped. You are not that person you were before your diagnosis. You know, I'm not the same person I was before I got that phone call. Like it, yeah. you know, you, you just aren't. And I don't think in general that's understood really. Yeah. Um, yeah Cause there no. is this idea of like, and I think we see it in the media and we hear, you know, people say things like you want to get back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, you had this like horrible thing happen, but you're like trying to get back to normal. You're trying to get back to your old self. And right. like, that's not, that's just not the reality. Cause oftentimes that old self is, there in the past well and I think like I've always pushed back I remember like going to my kids preschool and seeing these moms sorry I'm gonna be a little cheeky here but like the ponytail moms you know and they had these they were all in this workout group sorry if you guys go to these but they said something about like getting their something about their getting their body back or something like that and I was just like First of all, ooh, second of all, not going to happen because <laughs> you've just been through like the most profound experience a human body can go through. And why? Like, <laughs> why, why is that the goal? <laughs> why, why, why do we have to, why do we go back to the way things used to be? And I, you know, people will say like, well, you know, I can't let this define me. And I push back on that and say, you know what? I absolutely have let my kidnapping define me. Yeah. It has absolutely defined me because you know what? Now I, the definition of who I am, I know that now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am strong. I am stronger than I ever thought possible. I am brave. I am tenacious and I am resourceful. Like, why do we not let those things define us? Yeah. Your some things are defining. I mean, that's, they are. Absolutely. <laughs> and then we spend all this time trying to put the pieces back and it's not the same puzzle. No, they can't. They don't fit the same way. Oh, I like that analogy. No. It's not the same. It's puzzle. a different picture now. Yeah. And what's to say that like who we were before was so amazing and worth going back to. Anyway. Thank you. Right. Yeah. I mean, right? sometimes yeah. we're better and no. I don't know, more enlightened and I like and whatever, like, <laughs> yeah, I like myself. So sometimes much we're better. Now, I gotta say, <laughs> I mean, I, I like this girl much better, right? Like, you know, I mean, if you think about the analogy of your body too, like I think about, okay, well the pre-baby body, sure. 
that looked better than it does now, but I also had a lot of disordered eating habits and a lot of unhealthy practices around that. And now, I mean, it looks different, but it sure is healthier Mm -hmm. because it's honest and it's real. And I just think like, you know, I don't close the door entirely to who that girl was because of course there are some things that are the same just in my character and in my personality. Like I'm always like, I was so afraid I was going to miss this podcast appointment (laughs) because I screw up times all the time. That's just like something that's going to be always with me because it's part of my personality. Right. But like, I don't know. Well, I think it's just really interesting to think about when you're recovering from, from a traumatic experience or life event or what have you, you're kind of forced to like dive into yourself. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and really like, I don't know, and maybe you can appreciate this Tisha, but like almost take a minimalistic approach to like, what is worth kind of keeping or pursuing or like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're um, clearing right there, clearing it all out, <laughs> clearing house. Yeah, you're clearing house. You know, whether it's the people yeah. or the activities or the hobbies or the jobs or whatever it was that you know y- you felt like defined you previously. Mm-hmm. It's like once mm-hmm. you, once those rose colored glasses are taken off, and you know, oh no, bad shit can actually happen. Yeah, and then there's you that like post-traumatic growth, you know, that whole thing where you're, you're evaluating your life Mm -hmm. before versus what it is now or what you want it to be, because you realize how fragile it is. Yes. Right. And that, that thinking. And it can all be gone like that. Yeah. And that thinking that bad things don't happen to good people is taken away from you. Yeah. So it can, you know, and so then you have to be like in the moment, like, like you have to be present and because you, and I have this and I have to temper it because I have this very real sense of like time being finite Mm -hmm. and like, I know what it feels like to say a final goodbye. And in my case, I did come back. It's like, I came back from being in a coma or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I never got to say goodbye to my mom when she, like, she just was gone. Right. And you just can't take it for granted. You just really can't. Mm-hmm. And I try really, really hard not to. And I think I feel it most with my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm going to try not to cry. It's okay. If you do. I, yeah, Cause I've been yeah. having to go through some pictures pictures of my kids like and and I'm like oh it's so it goes so fast so fast it does does I I actually just rehung or picked out new family photos and hung them up and they span from when when my eldest was like probably one or two and just like looking at those and how much they've changed Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah. It's so fast. And how much your life can change in that span, right? Yep. Absolutely. It's, yeah, yeah, you really have to. And when you're, you know, you have that 
trying to be present and realizing that time is finite. And then you have this kind of really visual representation in your children of like how fleeting time is. Mm-hmm. I was watching, I work in a school, I'm a teacher and I watched okay. the kindergarten, like the, looking at the kindergarten kids walking down the hall today. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I used to have one of those. They're, they seem so little now mm-hmm. compared They're to so my kids little. who are only in grade one and grade four. But I was like, I, it wasn't long ago that I had one of those, but Mm-mm. you forget, are, you forget how little they are in kindergarten. Like, mm-hmm. It's just wild how, how fast the time goes, but I was diagnosed with cancer. My kids were two and four Mm. and Mm. I felt an immense amount of pressure to be present and to be there with them Mm -hmm. and to like enjoy Mm -hmm. every moment and live life to the fullest, because that's kind of like the rhetoric that you hear around that. And it was so hard to be present because I was so worried. Yeah. Like, and I almost, I feel like I almost stressed myself out trying so hard to be present, if that makes sense. Even mm-hmm. though like being present mm-hmm. is supposed to really like ground us <laughs> and like, yeah. Right. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Anyways. No, I can imagine. I can absolutely like imagine what that must feel like. Cause like every um, time my mind wandered, I was like, Oh no, you have to be present. You have to be present. You have to be present. Yes. I didn't know how much time I potentially had with them or they had with me. Mm. Right. Like wanted to mm. try and just make the most of that because yeah. time is fleeting and life is precious and it can mm-hmm. be gone just like that. But no one can be present yeah. all the time. No. Of course Mm -hmm. not. Well, and that's probably why I stressed myself out because I was trying to be present all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you're going through a hugely traumatic event as a human being. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So I like, is that what has brought you two together to make this podcast? Yeah, our mutual experiences. Yeah. (laughs) Like, just so your your shared and separate traumas. Yeah, Tisha. So we were uh, friends before any of that. We have very that's what we have in common now. Unfortunately, yeah, we have very <laughs> different experiences, but we were really able to still be there for one another. Um, and I think mm. for me, anyway, I love my widow sisters and friends. It's I like to say, and most of us do. It's the the club you don't ever want to be a part of, but you're so thankful is there, but you don't always want like somebody who's been through something like you to talk to, you know what I mean? Like you want somebody Mm -hmm. that you can, that can understand in some scope of, of Um, like what other way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where this all came from. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that Jen, because like, I know, I eventually left like every cancer support group, all of that. Like I left all of those groups because I started to almost feel like it was keeping me stuck. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense at all, like just reading about it too much was almost keeping me from, Mm -hmm. from healing and from continuing to move through it. And 
but also feel this kind of connection with other people who've had similar experiences where something horrible happens and then they're forced to kind of re-examine their life and pick up the pieces and keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, it's been really, really interesting to connect with other people who have done that with all different things being the catalyst, right? Because there are, Mm -hmm. we all three have very different stories, but I think there's pieces that we can all sort of relate to in the aftermath, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Well, in the process of- I mean, it's the human condition. Yeah. Yeah. And we should talk about that, which is the name of your podcast. (laughs) But nobody does talk about it. I know. I was like, I think that you two should come on my podcast (laughs) because my co-host Jess will love you and I anybody who wants to talk about hard stuff is totally our jam all we, right um, we'll, we'll take that offline we, but. we love to uh we love to swap swap guesting yeah. on each other's shows what somebody listening to this who I mean obviously like there isn't like being kidnapped and what you went through is a very like it's like a rarefied experience it's not yeah right so yeah someone like listening, what would you hope that they would take away from hearing your story? You're stronger than you know. Mm -hmm. And just keep, just keep showing up. It doesn't matter what shape you're in. Just don't quit. Please don't quit. Because (laughs) I am my, my second book that I'm working on right now is called from deserts to mountaintops. And it's about that journey in between. And I don't know. I mean, I think the mountaintop, like there are peaks and it's so worth it to keep journeying, even though it feels some days like, I just don't want to do this anymore. I have a, a friend who has been through something horribly traumatic and you know, she, she's like, it's just kind of like, I just, you know, don't want to wake up. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Right. Like, let's just not do this. Like, let's just not, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, but you're here. So there must be more work for you to do. So wake up, wake up, Mm -hmm. stay awake and look around and see see what there is to see, you know, where I'm a big hiker. I, my, we're big outdoors people. And, you know, so I think it's kind of like funny that I, I always think of like, I refer to the kidnapping as my like extreme camping experience. Right. And like a naked and afraid kind of deal. Right. Um, That's totally what I was just thinking of. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I like, and we watch those shows, like we watch them with our kids. Like we, we love them. And, and I'm still like, mm, yeah, 21 days out there naked. Like, that. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> but, you know, um, so most of my like references are going to have something to do with being outside, but there's just, there's so much beauty. You just have to get through the fog. Mm-hmm can get really foggy sometimes it's really hard but it's also really beautiful and it's worth it so nothing I guess too profound that you probably haven't heard from anybody else but that is my deep truth because nothing lasts forever no Mm -hmm. nothing lasts forever not the good 
that's bad. Yeah, we're constantly moving and growing and evolving. So Mm -hmm. yeah, right now can be like the shittiest of the shit, but it doesn't stay that way. No, no, it doesn't. I mean, and I'm like, again, I'm like a ping pong ball on the emotional spectrum of like ping, ping. Yeah, I'm all over the place even still, you know, and I can wake up the next day and it's like, oh, sun is shining and it's you know there's magic in the air Mm -hmm. and it's worth it's worth hanging around for it's worth showing up for absolutely absolutely um would you want to take a minute just to tell us a little bit about project you and the other stuff you've gone on sure thank you so I am the co-host of the we should talk about that podcast with Jessica Kidwell and our Um, objective is to have uncomfortable conversations about things no one is talking about, but should, but should be talking about in uh, an effort to build community and so that people feel less isolated and alone. And we put out a new episode every Monday and we're two years in, I think. And that's been, that's such a joy. It's been such a joy project. So it's super fun. And we, we just, we, cry a lot and we laugh a lot and it's just it's really fun it's like this it's like sitting with friends and having a glass of wine or a cup of coffee and then the project you collective is my newest project and I am in collaboration with Rebecca Gregory who is a survivor of the Boston Marathon bombing in 2013 and she's an amputee she lost her leg as a result of the bombing because she shielded her five-year-old son and she's I think three feet away from the blast the first backpack that blew up and then my sister-in-law is actually a part of the collaboration and um what we do is we Rebecca and I are both professional speakers now as a result of our extreme stories and books and all of this stuff that goes along with that and so we have a coaching program for women who are ready to share their stories and turn, we say, turn your low points into talking points or your mess into your message. And we offer a comprehensive uh, coaching program through our Speakers Academy, where we help women clarify their message and Mm -hmm. then craft a keynote that they can actually take into the professional speaking world so that they can get paid to speak and then help them and brand and build their platform so that they can market themselves and turn those those wounds really speak from those wounds and change other people's lives through sharing their stories and because you can actually make a living doing that so that's just like I can't believe that I get to spend time in the company of women who just keep showing up and are making such huge impacts and have incredible stories. People are amazing. People are so amazing. Um, And I am inspired every day by them. So that's beautiful. I love it. I love it that you, and also like, it's just interesting that you have this story, but you still are finding inspiration in other people's stories. I mean, Oh my gosh. Like I like (laughs) will sit in class or listen to, listen to like when Rebecca's teaching or something. And it was a couple of weeks ago, one of our uh, clients, she 
basically has escaped from the Orthodox uh, Jewish community and had to leave in the middle of the night with three of her 10 kids and, you know, to save herself. I mean, it was just like, and I was dealing with something, a decision that I needed to make. And I was just like, oh my God, if she could do that, then I can do this. Like, I mean, this is why we tell stories to give each other, to infuse strength and courage and bravery into each other. And I, yeah, absolutely. I need that. Oh my gosh. I need that so much in my life. So now I get to be a part of helping women do it in a way that they, it feels meaningful and authentic. And also they can use it as a resource so that they can provide for themselves. Yes. That's amazing. Yeah. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Now What? If you've enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. Until next time, remember, your hard times are the chance to write another chapter.